We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up? It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at the Niners Wire. Chris Biederman, the beat writer for the Sacramento Bee, was joining me shortly. As he always does, the NFL draft happened, and we're going to talk about it. I'm not going to go super far in depth and waste more of your time. Here we go. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. The draft happened. We did a pod after night one, after Trey Lance got selected. But then there were two more days of the draft. So the plan today is we're going to go through each player that the 49ers picked and just kind of, you know, talk about him for a little bit. Just have a just have a convo, have a conversation. But before we get to that, it's a big time of year. Mm-hmm. I am in Oakley, California in the East Bay. It is Monday, May 3rd, and it is 90 degrees out, and you know what that means. Beating the heat is back. We are beating the heat again, folks. <laughs> Let's go. AC is on. I haven't gotten my fan out yet that I usually have sitting here when I record, but that's coming out eventually. Yep. I'm really excited for the bit to be back. Yeah, I'm not so much excited because I do not have air conditioning. I need to reinstall a window fan I have. Oh, that's right. Yeah. My side of the house faces directly west, so I'm basically like the the west grandstand of Levi's Stadium over here in terms of the direction 
and uh, my room just kind of bakes all day. So you know, Tell recording this. Paper it, and overhang. Yeah, that that would be a, a great idea. I rent though, unlike unlike you and and your all your adulthood, I, I rent over here. Mm-hmm. Um, do people do people consider Oakley the East Bay? Like, do it's, people quibble with that? Because, like, because yeah. I deal I'm, with the similar thing being from Santa Rosa. People are like, well, Santa Rosa is not really the Bay Area. And I'm like, well, what is it then? <laughs> that's a, okay, so here's my here's my thing with that. Okay. First of all, I want it to be known. If I lived where you lived, I, too, would be renting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I chose to live in what's basically BFE, uh, so I didn't have to do that. And I have an hour-plus commute to work every day. It's fine. Uh <laughs> But I have air conditioning. <laughs> but what was the question? Is Oakley the east? Is is it technically? Oh yeah, the no. Bay Area? So that's what I I. If you ask a certain subsection of people, the Bay Area is San Francisco and Oakland, and that's right. it. Right. But when you're trying to explain to somebody, I lived in Arizona for two and a half years, and when you're trying to explain to somebody, like, yeah, I'm from Brentwood. Oh, where's that? Oh, um. It's just outside the Bay. It's just outside, but it's not really just outside the Bay Area. If you're sticking to the strict San Francisco, Oakland area, like I'm 45, 50 miles east of San Francisco, so I just say I'm from the East Bay and call it good. Okay, I'm in the greater eastern part of the Bay Area. All right. So okay, yeah, I'm gonna Santa stick Rose with is my North Bay to me. Yeah, Santa Rosa is the North Bay. I'll always consider Santa Rosa the North Bay. Um, but, yeah, it's just a funny discussion because I, I've had that conversation with people. They're like, wait, you're from Santa Rosa? That's not the Bay Area. I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, they're they're technically, like, fingers of the Bay that go all the way up to Petaluma. Anyway, let's talk it's about the, the draft. It's the, like, nine-county Bay Area. It's like Contra Costa, Alameda, San Francisco. If, if the Bay Area Sonoma, were to have a draft – of cities it wants to be included in the Bay Area umbrella, I feel pretty comfortable that Santa Rosa offers enough that the Bay Area would want it. It would draft Santa Rosa. I agree. Okay. I'm trying to get Glad up we handled to that. Third Street Ale Works up there. They have Hamilton themed beers, which is just oh. really, really up my alley in two directions. Sure. So uh, Santa Rosa is my favorite beer town. Yeah, it's a, got some anywhere. great stuff. We need to go on a. I, I want to go to your old stomping grounds. Sure, and we'll go up there and we'll drink beer, and you can. Yeah, show we'll me go to we'll go to room. Cooperage, we'll go to Hen House, we'll go to Russian River. That'd be great. We can go to Bear it's Republic. Yeah, lots of lots of great places. How about the draft though? The draft beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when is Trey, draft? We're getting to we'll, it. We're almost five minutes in. And we haven't. Got when to is it. Trey Lance going to start games? My question to you. Round what one, you... pick three, quarterback, Trey Lance, North Dakota State. Um, yes. Let's see. I put the over-under at five and a half weeks. Where are you going? So is the under sooner? Yeah, so under would be week five, week one through five. Over okay. would be week six through 18. I have a take. I've been I've been workshopping. I think I mentioned it in the group chat with you and Nick. Am I going to have um, to turn my AC down even further? <laughs> Maybe. Um, but it, it's it's probably not going to be all that novel by the time training camp starts, but I think Trey Lance is going to be the week one starter. Whoa! Um, and that's just pure, like, speculation. I, it's not like a, I'm, I, nobody's told me that Are or anything. Are you reporting that? 
<laughs> um, I'm not reporting that, but it's just based on sort of what I think I know about Trey Lance and just, I think, you know, the, I think a lot of smart people are making the, the right point in that the best way to develop Trey Lance might be to just give him reps, give him game reps. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that he needs a year to learn the system before he's ready to play. I think he's more advanced than that. I think the offense he ran at North Dakota State lends to that, mm-hmm. um, lends to the idea that he is more ready to play. I think the fact that he's been working with John Beck since late March, uh, doing 49ers offense-centric things in his preparation for the draft, I think is going to help. I think the 49ers are going to have a much better idea for sure once they get on the field um, within these next few weeks with rookie minicamp and things like that so they can start installing the offense. Um, and I just think Kyle Shanahan wants to, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to take his new Ferrari and stick it in the garage for a year. Like I, right. I think Kyle Shanahan's the type of guy who, as soon as he made the pick or maybe even beforehand, him and Mike McDaniel are, are in the lab drawing up plays where they could utilize Lance's athleticism, his running ability, um, and just, you know, the play action game, just everything you can do with Trey Lance that you can't do with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Kyle Shanahan wants to unleash that on the league sooner rather than later. I think Lance is really, really smart, and I think he's capable of absorbing the offense in a way that he would need to to start week one. Um, So, again, this is all just speculation on my part, but just seeing the situation, it's going to take a hell of a training camp for Jimmy Garoppolo to fend this guy off. Um, That's... and so, and maybe Garoppolo does, maybe Garoppolo just does have a great training camp, but I think if it's close, uh, between Garoppolo and Lance, I think Lance is going to be given the nod and then we're going to try, you know, we're going to be figuring out where Jimmy Garoppolo's next team is going to be because, um, you know, I just don't, I don't know that you roll into, that you're going to be able to roll into the season with Garoppolo as a $24 million backup. I think we're going to know from the first training camp. The first time reporters get to stand and watch these guys practice, I think we're going to know. Yeah. Because if if Lance, I agree with you, if he has it down at all, I think they're going to roll with it. Because he's just more physically talented than Garoppolo is. But then again, then again, they think they can win a Super Bowl this year. So if they have any doubt on Lance, I don't think he starts. I I, I, I I get what you're saying, but I just, I can't imagine that if they have any question about his ability to run the offense, I, I can't imagine that, that they would, they would just throw him to the wolves and say, yeah, figure it out. Any yeah. year where they're trying to win it all. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion, right? Because you can obviously make the point that no rookie quarterback has ever even started in a Super Bowl. Right. And so you could say, all right, well, you have Jimmy Garoppolo. You've been to a Super Bowl already with Garoppolo. Roll with Garoppolo because, you know, there's precedent in that a rookie's never started in that game. On the other hand, if all the evidence points to one guy being clearly better than the other, then you just have to go with the better guy regardless of precedent. So I don't think Kyle, like, if Trey Lance is better than than Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think he's going to have any second thought about it and be like, well, I don't know because the rookie quarterback's never played in the Super Bowl. Right. I think right. I think he would be inclined just to say, whatever, the, 
the the history says that, but mm-hmm. me watching this team practice, we have a much better chance of winning with this guy on the field. Um, and like I said, like you're you're starting his development by playing him in games. Like it, sure, sure it, there, there's certainly logic to to letting him marinate uh, on the sideline and and you know roll with Garoppolo, but I just think. You know, Kyle Shanahan has plays in his mind that he wants to run with Trey Lance. And that, that, you know, the, the Super Bowl thing is not going to stop him from, from unleashing Lance on the league in a way that I think he really wants to. So two things, two things on this. One, to your point, um, to your point on that, let's say they do roll with Garoppolo all year. Like that's their plan. They, they're, they're going to say, uh, Garoppolo is a starter. He's going to start for 17 games, and it is what it is. And they're going to roll into 22. That means Trey Lance. And then let's say they trade Garoppolo next offseason. Lance is a starter in 22. That means Trey Lance will have gone like two full years without playing in a game. Right. And there, I don't I mean, think that's something they want. <laughs> the, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to start at some point this year. Yes. Um, it's just, even if it's cause Garoppolo is unavailable. Right. And it's just a situation where, you know, when is, when is it going to happen? And I just think like, if you roll into the season with Garoppolo and Lance has a good training camp and all the reporters are going to be there, we're all going to be able to see how Trey Lance is in training camp. If Lance has a good training camp and Garoppolo has one stinker, it's It's like, yeah, it's kind of over. So like, do you want to be in that situation where you have Jimmy Garoppolo basically like, all right. You make any mistake and you're done because we have Lance waiting in the wings, or would you rather just say, "Hey, well, we're going to go with the rookie, um, Jimmy. Bide your time. We'll try to find you a trade partner. Um, mm-hmm. But if not, you're just going to be the backup like you were in New England. And you know, Ooh. sorry that it it it's going this way, but we just gave you like eighty million dollars over the yeah. last few years, so you can you can get over it. <laughs> <laughs> did, you know? did you did you catch that sound that was going around today from 2018? Uh, Kyle no. Shanahan talking about the zone read. Oh offense. yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. I was I was at that press conference. I think Eric Branch. Well, I know, I know, I know you were there, but I, yeah. I just so there was a sound going around today, and I don't have it available. I probably should have if I was any kind of a podcast producer. But he, in essence, says that the offense the that Washington ran with Robert Griffin the third in his rookie year. It wasn't that teams caught on to it. It's he didn't say this explicitly, but implicitly he said the problem is is Griffin couldn't make all the throws, right? To beat teams when they sold out to stop the zone read, and Griffin wasn't the guy necessarily that Shanahan wanted, right. in the same way that Trey Lance clearly is, right? right? So Be- I think he's envisioning, just based on that sound, and maybe his mind has changed, but a version of that offense. Where if you're not selling out to stop the run, they're going to be able to beat you with Lance's arm. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, it's sort of telling how they approach the draft, right? Because you look at the guys that they drafted, particularly on offense, and you can mm-hmm. say, well, they're, they're really going all in on being able to run the ball. Yeah. You, you know, they didn't draft a receiver, a receiver for the first time since 2002, and they drafted two running backs. Like, they're going to run the ball. So yeah. that to me 
sort of speaks to the idea that, well, maybe they're going to try a very run-heavy offense, a play-action-heavy offense, similar to the RG3 thing um, back in 2000, what, 2012 in Washington, and then allow Trey Lance to develop as a passer from there, right? Like sort of have a have a scheme designed to where you're, you sort of have the training wheels on Lance in terms of the passing game. Like you're not going to – have have him be in shotgun and and take 35 snaps a game from shotgun and you know with four receivers on the field and him going through all these reads you're going to have you know a lot of 22 personnel um and you're going to run a lot of play action and make those clearly defined reads easier for Lance so he can have success in the passing game that way and then you could sort of develop him as he's playing and as he's helping you win games um and all the while you're you're sort of playing opposite a defense that's probably not going to be as good without Robert Sala and some of the other guys that they've lost. So I, I totally see, you know, like it's easy to envision sort of that RG three type offense, but a little bit more expansive when it comes to passing because because Trey Lance is just a better a, a better processor and a better passer than RG three was coming into the league. Mm-hmm. And you could have sort of a you know, Lamar Jackson light type offense, right? In terms of the running game. Like I think Trey Lance is going to be one of the three best rushing quarterbacks in the league from the jump. Right. Interesting. And, and so like, I think he's, he's not as good as Lamar Jackson. He's probably. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Probably not as good as Kyler Murray in terms of just pure, like, rushing the ball. Mm-hmm. But I think he's probably third. And then, so you can you can build an offense that way. And the other, the other advantage you have, if that's the case, is that you're entirely unscouted. You're running new plays every week that nobody in the league has seen with this personnel. Right. So you can just really be a question mark to all the coordinators you're going against. Whereas... I think the league has a relatively good idea or at least a better idea of what Kyle Shanahan's offense looks like with Jimmy Garoppolo because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, they've been doing that for the last three plus years now. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. 
Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support because we know you have people depending on you so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Over or under 500 rushing yards for Lance. Okay, if so he plays if he, in a set, let, let's say he, you're right, and he starts week one. I'd go over. I'd say like six to eight hundred is probably Jeez. is probably reasonable. I mean, he's he's not going to be like they're not going to be like dialing the, up twelve my, runs a game. So maybe maybe under. I would have to think about it and my, do a little bit more math. My five hundred is about thirty yards a game. Okay, so more than that. I, I think. Okay. I think the his at least Kyle Shanahan is going to use. If if I'm making a prediction, I would say Kyle Shanahan is going to utilize Trey Lance's legs to make them a threat for everything that they do, right? Right. Like the jet sweep stuff. They're going to be, you know, Debo Samuel's going to be screaming in from the right side, going left. They're going to fake a jet sweep and they're going to run quarterback power when right. the whole defense reacts to Debo, right? right? And there's going to be like third and two and you're you're going to do something really creative like a zone read or even a read option, something with Trey Sermon, like – there's a there there are just so many different ways you can attack, attack a defense when you're playing eleven on eleven football, and right. so I think Lance is not going to be like the focal point of the running game, but he's going to be an asset in the running game for sure, right. and then it, it's going to be uh it, it's going to be a scenario where he's like he's scoring a lot of touchdowns, you know like third and goal from the three like I, Trey Lance is going to score a lot of touchdowns in that scenario in my opinion, my and then third cons- down. But you're not gonna. They're not gonna be like, all right, Trey Lance is getting 12 carries a game. I don't think that's what's gonna happen. My biggest concern with him as a runner is his his knack slide. for running into people. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like, slide. So, no, and that's a that's that's a, it's an old take, but it's one that that matters still. Is like self preservation is a skill for a quarterback. Totally. That's why Russell Wilson has has played 16 games every year, despite the fact he, he runs around so much. It's because he knows when to get down. He knows how to avoid contact. And conversely, you have Cam Newton, who played the position like a linebacker. And he was really successful early on, and I'm not trying to take away from Cam Newton. But it wears on your body after a while, and we've seen him break down at age 31. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. Um, which is why I think it's going to be more like five to eight carries a game, maybe. Um, and I think he's going to be instructed strictly to, to yeah. not lower his shoulder into linebackers. Like this he isn't did Weber well. state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he probably needs to gain some weight. Like, you know, 225 yeah. is not small, but he can, you know, I, I, I envision Trey Lance playing at like closer to 240 and just, that. and being, being sort of like a bigger, um, like a guy who's just going to be really tough to sack. And it's not out of their own possibilities. He turns 21 in like a week. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, that's that's the thing, man. Like, I, I know Nick Wagner tweeted it. I, I've mentioned it on this pod. But yeah, the fact that point. he did what he did when he was 19 and a redshirt freshman, I think is going overlooked just in the evaluation and how you compare him to the other quarterbacks that were drafted. Because where he was at in, in as a 19-year-old, when he was starting all those games, 
I think he was still more advanced than Justin Fields because Fields at that point was backing up Jake Fromm and figuring out his transfer situation at Ohio State. Um, and obviously, uh, Mac Jones was dealing with his off the field issues <laughs> at Tuscaloosa and, and, and being the third string quarterback. So I, I think where Lance is from a developmental standpoint, just given his age might be overlooked, which is a reason why I think he's more ready to start than, than maybe a lot of people do. Yeah, and you can pick nits with the with the Justin Fields thing. Like you can say that Kirby Smart and Georgia messed up and they played the wrong guy. Uh, but the fact, like the fact is, the way it shook out is Lance at that age had a better opportunity. And one of the big things that like analytics people look at is breakout age. You know, yeah. if you're 19 and dominating against 21 and 22 year olds, that's different than being 20 three and dominating against, you know, 19 and 20 year olds. Totally. If that makes sense. So I, you get the upside, you see the upside and I'm like I said, I think it takes exactly one practice for the, the, we're going to get that one, that one practice where Garoppolo throws like two interceptions and Lance was flawless and everybody's going to tweet out their passing numbers that everybody tracked. And <laughs> um, it's just going to become very clear who the more talented player is. I think that's what's going to happen. But maybe they're going to stick to their plan and, and Garoppolo, you know, stays healthy and wins a bunch of games. And Yeah, and for now, like Kyle Shanahan has said, he needs to see Trey Lance on the practice field before he can even think about it. So, like, you, anything Kyle Shanahan says – you know, it's not that I don't believe him, but he can he can't say, yeah, I'm planning on starting Trey Lance week one, right now. You know, right. before Lance has oh, ever even taken part of a part of a rookie minicamp. So I've seen Shanahan sort of say, like, yeah, we need to get him on the practice field, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I I just think, regardless of that, that Lance is is going to be Shanahan's guy, and like any. You know, if it, if it's close, I, I think Lance is going to be the guy because there's no, you just got to rip the bandaid off and, and, you know, throw the kid in the deep end at some point because, you know, I, I don't know how starting Jimmy Garoppolo really serves you if, unless you just think Lance isn't close. And if, if Lance isn't close, then maybe you start to wonder like, oh, did they, you know, <laughs> was it, yeah. a, was it a perfect evaluation on their part? Did they, right. you know, so, um, we'll, we'll see, but I'm expecting Lance to start sooner rather than later. I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm so glad that the conversation is now turning to this. Yes. Absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm super interested to see how it goes. And I think they're in a pretty good spot. They're in a great spot. Yeah. I think just about every team in the league, with the exception of the guys who already have their established superstar, Super Bowl contending type quarterbacks, would love to have a pretty good veteran like Jimmy Garoppolo and then a really intriguing prospect yeah, absolutely. to uh, to develop behind them. So yeah, 49ers are in a great spot now that they now that they seem that they made the right decision, um, in my opinion, with Lance. Alright, let's move on to the second round. The 49ers traded back in the second round. They got a fourth-round pick from the Raiders. They got number 48 and a fourth-round pick from the Raiders. They traded away number 43 and then number 230, their seventh-round pick. And with the 48th pick, they took Notre Dame offensive lineman Aaron Banks. And he is a monster. He's He's a refrigerator with limbs. Yes. And I think he's going to start at right guard. 
and solidify the interior in a way that Daniel Brunskill or Colton McKivitz just wasn't going to. Yeah, he's an All-American. He allowed two sacks in three seasons, according to Pro Football Focus. He started 31 straight games, so he's durable. Um, I think if you want to quibble with the pick, you can... I mean, there are you know, I'm not going to pretend to be an offensive line expert and say, well, I would have taken this guard over, over the other guy. But if you want to quibble with the pick, there were some centers that went well after Banks was taken. And I think that, you know, we, you could have made the point that, well, why not trade down for one of these centers who you could potentially replace Alex Math, Alex Mack with down the road and then have him start at right guard in the meantime. Um, I think Aaron Banks is is just a guard. Like he's going to be a guard probably for a long time in the league. Um, really good in pass protection. He's 325 pounds, but he's not like he can move really well for a guy who's 325 pounds. But he doesn't move particularly well for a guard, particularly a guard that you normally associate with a Kyle Shanahan offense, like a guy who's you know, sprinting out and, and getting ahead of linebackers and wide zone runs and getting downfield on screens. He can do that. He's not completely immobile. But in terms of the overall fit, it's a little bit of a departure from what we're used to. Um, but but I, I think, you know, the first thing I thought of when watching him play was like, all right, Kyle Shanahan just wants a dude that's impossible to get around and, like, you're not going to really overpower. And this is for Aaron Donald, Right. Like that was just my my an instant takeaway was like all right you got a mammoth dude who is really good in pass protection anchors really well has pretty long arms particularly for a guard and I just see like okay Kyle Shanahan's tired of Aaron Donald so this is this is the the guy that that he wants to get and I I wonder if you know Chris Forrester's a new offensive line coach with John Benton going with Robert Sala to New York so I wonder if Forrester uh, his influence on the pick mattered at all like if if he, you know, we, we talk about the athleticism from guards typically. I wonder if Forrester was like, nah, we'll just take the big dude and deal with the mobility stuff later. And also, you talk about, like, the power running game. I think Banks is, like, sort of the perfect guy, right, to to in, to do more of that power, you know, quarterback power, inside zone, stuff like that. I think you can do that with Banks, and I think that was – sort of plays into the larger point of like, let's make sure no matter what in 2021, we can run the ball. Um, and I think that's, that's an overwhelming theme from this draft class, but definitely with banks in particular. I think it's a case of what, tell me what he can do, not what he can't do. Right. Right. And so what they're going to do is just make sure that if he can't pull and get to the edge, they're just not going to do that. Yeah. Or just not do it as much. Yeah. It's, or maybe um, he can't. Maybe they're just going to be like, hey, man, just drop 10 pounds for us. Exactly. We're going to work on your agility, and, and you're going to be fine with that. Because what Shanahan said after the pick was like, well, you know, like ideally you want somebody who can move, but we're not we're not discounting big dudes. Like if, if you can get a big dude and a big dude who can move, like that's the ideal scenario, and that's sort of right. how, how Shanahan framed it. Um, so can he, can he stop Chris Jones from continually getting pushed in the Super Bowl? Exactly. Exactly. That's... And now you have an offensive line with four first round picks and a second round pick who's an all American at Notre Dame. Yeah. Right. So you have you have you have a very talented offensive line now that you added Alex Mack, um, you drafted Banks and you, you brought in or you kept <laughs> Trent Williams. So now, you know, 
Mike McGlinchey, it's, it's a little bit weird, but it's like Mike McGlinchey's going into the season as, as the weakest link on the offensive line, especially from a pass protection standpoint. Yeah. So if he can get back to, you know, 2018 and 2019 levels as a pass protector, then you're like, all right, Niners are going to have a really good offensive line because you know they're going to be able to run the ball. And if McGlinchey can, can stave off some of the edge rushers they're going to go against, it really could be one of the better, maybe a top five offensive line in the league if everybody just, plays to what they're capable of playing. It should be. And if Banks isn't starting at right guard week one, they have a problem. He will be. <laughs> he will be. And he's like, honestly, he's he's the biggest guy in the roster right now. He's huge. He's enormous. 6'6", 325. Um, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. He's he's Him and Trent Williams and Javon Kinlaw are going to be the first three off the bus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything else on Aaron Brooks, or can we move on to round three? Um, Aaron Banks? No, I'm good. Aaron, Aaron Brooks, yeah, the quarterback. I think Aaron Brooks would also, be a tough sell guard, at, at right guard. Point, he's a point guard in the NBA for a while. That's true. Out of Oregon? I uh, believe so. I'm Googling this. I uh, for I mean, the first Aaron, Aaron Brooks that came Brooks. to my head was a former Saints quarterback. Right, right, of course. Uh, Aaron Brooks. Yeah, University of Oregon. Look at me. Basketball knowledge. Anyways. All right. uh, oh my god, he's only 35. 36. I would have guessed he was like 46. Anyways. Um, yeah, third round. everybody Warriors. else in their mid-30s. I'm almost there. <laughs> what if I went, why is he in his mid-30s? He's so old. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, the 49ers, after their 48th pick, they weren't due to pick again until 102. But they traded up. They traded the... Their original fourth round pick, number 117, and also number 121, which they got in the trade with the Raiders. And they gave those two picks to the Rams for the 88th overall selection. And with that pick, they took Ohio State running back Trey Sermon. I don't know how I feel about the value here. Sure. But I'm guessing if we had George Shahori from PFF, friend of the pod, he would lose his mind over this. Yep. But... I think Trey Sermon has a chance to be really, really good in this offense to the point that nobody at the end of the year is going, oh, wish they had those two fourth-round picks. I think Trey Sermon is the 49ers' most talented running back they have on the roster now. Huh. Um, And he's not – he doesn't have the breakaway speed that you typically associate. You know, he doesn't have Raheem Mostert or Matt Breida's, you know, breakaway speed. Right. But tackle. He's he breaks a ton of tackles. Um, he's you know our our buddy guy Haberman made made this point on their on uh, on the Ham podcast or one of their YouTube episodes I watched. Um, basically saying like all that really matters is what you do in those first six yards and anything after those six yards if you're breaking away or whatever is a bonus and that's sort of how people viewed Frank Gore right? Like Frank Gore was so good at maximizing every single run. And if he broke one now and then, he's probably not like running past guys in the secondary to get to the end zone, but he's just a guy that you feel very comfortable running between the tackles and maximizing every touch that he gets. And I think Trey Sermon is that style of running back. He's a super athlete. He doesn't have the 40-yard dash time. His 40-yard dash was 4.61, which is 34 percentile. I have a spider graph up, by the way, because obviously... I'm pulling it up right now. Um, 85%, 85th percentile on the three-cone, 88th percentile on the broad jump, 80th percentile in the vert, um, and 94th percentile in the 10-yard split. So the guy is explosive, 
and he breaks tackles and he can, you know, he can move in small spaces. He's just a, a very, very solid, you know, like physical running back who is going to do a lot of work for the 49ers between the tackles, but he's, he might not hit all the home runs that Raheem Mostert does. But in terms of like building out a running back group and, the, and finding guys that complement each other, I think it's a, it's a great pick from that standpoint, but you're right. I do have questions about the value in that. Is this guy worth two fourth round picks, right? Cause he was drafted in the third yeah. round, but I think you have to look at it as, is he worth two fourth round picks? Because that's what you traded away. And that'll be, that'll be debated because they did, they, they didn't come out of this draft with a receiver, right? They didn't come out of this draft with a pass mm-hmm. rusher. Now, would they have gotten an, an impactful player at either of those positions in the fourth round? I mean, I guess, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's, that remains to be seen, but clearly they feel good enough about Trey Sermon and his possibilities in Kyle Shanahan's offense that they found it worth it. So, you know, I, I think he's going to end up leading the 49ers in carries this year. That's another scorching hot take I've developed over the last couple of days. Um, just because he does, he does a little bit of everything where Mostert's sort of a one note guy. Not that that's not a knock on Mostert. He's just, he's outside zone. He'll do some inside power stuff. But like in terms of moving the chains and potentially complementing Trey Lance's threat with his legs, I think Sermon is sort of the guy that, that, um, you, you, build that running attack around um, in addition to everybody else. But I, I just think Sermon, given that the 49ers, you know, have gone basically since 2017 without drafting a running back, the fact that they would trade two-fourths to get this guy indicates that they have very high hopes for him. And if he turns yeah. into, you know, the best rookie running back of this class, I wouldn't really be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you can, yeah, best or most productive, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. The, the thing that jumped out to me was... His running style reminded me a lot of Debo Samuel. Right. And him and Debo are like the exact same size. And I think having another player like that who just, it, it's one of those, it's, it's like when you evaluate receivers, it's like, does he get open and can he catch the ball? I don't care what his 40 time is. Does he, does he get separation and catch the football? Those are the two most important things that get overlooked. Trey Sermon's hard to tackle. Yeah. And having more players who are hard to tackle is good. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, I think, the really the extent of it. Um, and he's a smart guy. Like, he, he was able to tra- transfer to Ohio State from Oklahoma because he graduated. Yeah. You know, he graduated years. college after three seasons and then went to go play at Ohio State. And part of it was because he was close with Justin Fields. But, like, you know, he's a, there's, there's a – an element to these guys that often gets overlooked when, you know, during the pre-draft process, especially from the media perspective, when you don't really get to know these guys. But I think Trey Sermon is another one of these like high level people, um, Mm -hmm. high level humans. So like that stuff is important. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic about what Trey Sermon can do. I mean, look like his best college game ever, 331 yards against Northwestern, like Northwestern's defense is pretty good. And yeah. that was in the, the Big Ten a, title game. And he had a huge college football playoff as well. Yeah. In the semifinal so I, against Clemson. He's a he's a <clears throat> I think he's a good player and I think it's a it's a really good scheme fit. And uh, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he leads the 49ers and carries this year. Yeah. I like it. Later in the third round, pick one oh two, the 49ers final pick of day two. 
They took Michigan cornerback Ambry Thomas a little bit later than I thought they would take a corner. But Thomas, so interesting story with him. He got colitis before the 2019 season, right before the offseason program. He lost 30 pounds, put the weight back on, and came back to play the full season and had his best season as a as a in as a college player had his best college season mm-hmm. and then opted out of 2020 because of the covid-19 pandemic and the health problem he had had the the previous year and he opted out and i think he is a super interesting player he played outside in college daniel jeremiah said on the nfl network draft broadcast that he saw him as a slot corner i don't know if the 49ers necessarily do i don't think they do no but i think he's an outside guy he his his 2019 tape is super interesting and it makes me wonder if he had played in 2020 if he had gone uh a little higher yeah he's a tough one like i i'm not going to sit here and you know based on the YouTube scouting and tell you I have a, a complete opinion on any of these guys, but oh, I think dude, he's, I need four and a half minutes. <laughs> he's probably the toughest one to figure out, right? Because it is a small sample. It was back in 2019. Um, and as a corner who's, you know, I don't have the all 22 on, 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 on him yet. Maybe we can get Croc in here to, to talk about Ambry Thomas, because I think he's going to have a, a very informed opinion, or at least a much more informed one than I have. I think the physical traits are intriguing. Um, you know, he, he's not quite six foot. He's five eleven and seven eighths, but he does have, you know, 32 and a quarter inch arms. So he does have good length, particularly mm-hmm. for his size. Um, a four, four, one guy, uh, 38 inch vertical. So those are 80th percentile and 75th percentile respectively. And he comes from a, from a, you know, obviously a big program and, and played some games and started for them. So he's, you know, I think it's an in- intriguing pick. I think the most intriguing thing I heard about Ambry Thomas w- after the after he was taken was John Lynch basically saying that this is Adam Peters' guy, right? And, mm. and Adam Peters is the assistant GM, probably the most important personnel voice that the 49ers have in the building. So, you know, it, I'm I'm curious to see how it pans out from that perspective. Um, and I'm with you, and and this goes back to both the Banks and Sermon picks. And if that if you want to nitpick them. You could say, well, the Niners had a chance to take Asante Samuel Jr., but instead traded back and took Aaron Banks, mm-hmm. right? So, like, that's that'll be an interesting thing because if Asante Samuel Jr. turns into a star player and Aaron Banks – I mean, you know, whatever. But if Asante Samuel Jr. turns into a, a good player, then it's going to be fair to say, like, what were the Niners missing with him or why didn't they take him? Because yep. I expected them to take a corner in round two. Um, I, think I a thought, lot of people did. yeah, and and maybe some of the guys went earlier than expected. Um, so I think that's if you look at taking a guard in round two and trading two fourths to take Sermon in round three, um, you know that the the critique of that is well, you really needed a cornerback, and you know is Ambry Thomas a guy who didn't play in 2020? Is that the best you could have done, just given the circumstances? Yeah. And I don't know. Um, but he is an explosive athlete. He offers some element in the return game, I guess, if you value that from a corner. Um, he, he, he did have some long kickoff returns for Michigan. I don't think he's done punts. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's got, phys- he's got intriguing physical traits. He doesn't have great size, but he's a willing tackler. 
uh, which is what you hear about him, and and that's really important. They obviously haven't always had that at corner, and that was a major critique of Akella Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this one, th- this one is just. I think it's it's probably the biggest unknown, at least of of the picks we've talked we've spoken about so far. Is just that, you know, he he potentially could be really good, or he could be somebody who just sort of struggles to start games. Um, I don't really know, but I think the 49ers think, plan on him being a guy who's going to compete for a starting job at some point. Um, it might just not come this year, given that he didn't play in 2020. It's kind of a theme with these last few picks. Yeah. Is I don't want to call them luxury picks because they needed depth at corner, they needed depth on the offensive line, they needed depth at safety, but it feels like a draft class where... They went, we're betting on upside, we're betting on athleticism, and a year, a year where Ambry Thomas can play special teams and learn the defense, he'll be able to start in 22 when, you know, Jason Verrett's contract is up and K1 Williams' contract is up. And, and same thing kind of moving forward with all these guys and we'll get into it, but this was the first pick that I think leaned that way. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think for now he's probably the third, the number three outside corner that they have. Yes. Um, Behind Verrett and and Emmanuel Mosley. Emmanuel Mosley, right? So they didn't have a pick in the fourth round. I thought they, I thought for sure they were trading up into the fourth round, but they didn't. Yeah. Uh, instead, they stood pat. They had three fifth round picks. They used all of them. The first one was number one fifty five. They took Jalen Moore, an offensive tackle from Western Michigan, but it sounds like he's going to play. On the interior, he's 6'4", 3'11", which is not necessarily NFL tackle size. But he was a good tackle at Western Michigan, and it feels like a Colton McKivitz-type pick. Another guy. I'm not uh, sure if he's a bona fide dirt dog or not. (laughs) Uh, He's another guy who's durable. And I, I think durability was a major sticking point for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in this draft. Aaron Banks, obviously durable. Um, I think Jalen Moore, if I'm not mistaken, started 30, 32 straight games at left tackle um, at Western Michigan before getting drafted. So, you know, you, you start to think about, you know, John Lynch said basically when they took Moore, he was just the highest guy on their board. Um, and so they didn't they didn't really it, it obviously wasn't a need pick because they didn't have a pressing need at tackle. Um, they do have swing tackle options in McKivitz and Sean Coleman and Justin School. But I think taking this guy in the fifth round, projecting him as somebody who may, who might be able to slide inside, it's just one of those things where it's like, well, you know, you can. Uh, a lot of people say you can never have too many pass rushers. Well, in this case, you you probably can never have too many pass protectors, right? And the 49ers have dealt with injuries along the offensive line in a pretty significant way, particularly last year. Mm-hmm. So if you get somebody who um, who you feel is durable, who you feel is a good scheme fit, who has versatility to play guard or tackle on either side, then that potentially could be a really nice pick if he ends up playing, you know, meaningful snaps for you at some point. Um, so I'm never, you know, I, I'm, I'm pro like loading up on offensive linemen, but at the same time, like you're also passing over maybe more pressing needs, right? Like, could they have gotten a slot receiver at this point in the draft? Potentially. Um, they've been good at finding offensive weapons at that point in the draft. So they, you know, if there's an argument to be made, it's probably like, well, you might have had more pressing needs elsewhere. But if this guy ends up, 
you know, maybe maybe Jalen Moore ends up replacing um, Lake and Tomlinson at some point within the next couple of years when you decide, you know, may, we like Lake and Tomlinson, but we don't want to keep paying him. We have Jalen Moore on a rookie contract. Maybe we'll just yeah. we'll just pay him instead. Um, that that would make sense to me. Um, but overall, I think it's just a depth guy, and they're like, look, he's the highest he's the highest graded player we have on our board. Let's take him. And, and at worst, we have we have more depth along the offensive line. And John Lynch talked about with with the quarterback situation insulating themselves from injury. I think that that's what this is. Like you add better depth, and now everybody kind of moves down de- down the depth chart. So even if you do suffer an injury, it's not going to derail your entire season. Right, and you which probably, I think is what you were kind of getting at. Right, and you probably don't want to be in a situation where if somebody does get hurt, you have to rely on Justin School. Right. Or even Sean Coleman to be like, all right, you got to start the rest of the season now, right? You know, like maybe you maybe you like more significantly more than <laughs> than the yes. guys you already have. So um, I I could see that uh, I, I could see the logic behind the pick from that perspective. All right, number one seventy two, also in round five, Oregon cornerback Diamador Lenore, A plus name. He played outside at Oregon. He's 510 I think a buck 90 I think he probably kicks inside I think that's what John Lynch said in his post draft pressers they envision him playing nickel but yeah. again you have K1 Williams on a one year deal Williams dealt with injuries last year um I think they in a perfect world envision Lenore playing special teams this year and then taking over the starting nickel corner spot down the road yeah, and another durable guy. 34 yeah. straight starts, um, appeared in 47 games with Oregon, so a super experienced player. Yeah. Uh, a guy who was one of the highest, or one of the, I guess he was way high on the list of recruits in California when he was coming out of high school in 2017. Um, so, you know, good athlete, 444 guy. Um, you know, he's not like super impressive athletically, but I think he, he compares favorably to Kwan Williams from that standpoint. And, you know, I think we'll talk about, we'll talk about it here and with the next pick, but there's sort of a theme, uh, particularly in round five is like, you know, the Niners liked DJ Reed a lot, right? And he, DJ Reed had safety versatility. He could play in the slot. Obviously he's now a prominent member of the Seattle Seahawks secondary. But I think this is sort of the Swiss Army Knife guy that you say, all right, we'll bring him in, maybe spend some time on the practice squad, um, but he will be, you know, a, a candidate to to fill our nickel spot for the foreseeable future if and when Kwan Williams leaves in free agency next year. So, you know, they the Niners just didn't really have many bodies that could play in the slot that they felt real comfortable with. Um, when Kwan Williams got hurt last year, and maybe Emmanuel Mosley could be that guy if that happens again this year. Um, but Lenore, to me, at, like you said, it he's probably a special teams guy to start if he's on the roster to start and not on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. But just somebody that you bring in so you you feel like you you have a little bit more depth at nickel. Um, and then if he ends up you know taking this year to develop, you'll probably feel more comfortable with him being your starter at nickel in 2022 if it gets to that point. You mentioned the next pick, so we'll just move on. 180, eight picks later. And I think that this guy, USC safety, Talanoa Hufanga, I think he falls into a similar vein to Lenore in that 
Jaquaski Tart is probably your starting strong safety, but Hufanga right away should contribute on special teams and can just kind of do a little bit of everything defensively where maybe he doesn't start right away while they kind of figure out exactly what he's going to do, but you could easily see him taking over as a starting strong safety in the post Jaquaski Tart era. Yeah, he's a fascinating pick because you look at it, you you watch him play and you're like, oh man, this guy's flying around and he's got to be, you know, like 220 pounds. He looks like he he looks like he's big for a safety. Yeah. Um, and he plays near the line of scrimmage, but you know he's he's 199 pounds, um, and he ran a four six. So a four six isn't really slow for a linebacker, but it's certainly slow for a safety. And so I I do wonder, you know, I asked about, um, I asked Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch after he was taken, like, do you, is he a hybrid guy? Could you could you use him the same way the team used Marcel Harris as a linebacker? Obviously, Harris was a strong safety type mm-hmm. um, that they played at linebacker because they had some injuries and they maybe wanted to be better in coverage there. I mean, that experiment didn't last very long. Harris was was not a linebacker for for that much time. Um, mm-hmm. But to me. Ufanga, I, I mean, I think he's gonna be just a special teams ace. Like he's just gonna be, like he has the makings of just being that guy who doesn't really contribute on defense um, much in his career, but he's just gonna be a guy who sticks around and maybe earns like a second contract just for being like a hype man on special teams. A being, teams guy. Being yeah, like being one of the the Tony Montana guys. Like I could see, I could see Talanoa Hufanga being that type of player. In that you love having him on your team, you love watching him fly around on special teams, but you probably wouldn't be thrilled with the fact that he has to have a starting role, either at safety or linebacker, because I think you know obviously a linebacker at 199 pounds that's problematic. Yeah, um, suboptimal for sure. Yeah, any any he, he's not like he's not fast enough to be a safety, but he could be, you know, like third down, third and six, and you you know you use some of those like three safety packages. Yeah. Maybe he gets in there, but I still think you're probably better off with Jimmy Ward, Tavarius Moore, and Jaquaski Tart as your three safeties. So for me, Hufanga is is just sort of like the ultimate depth special teams guy. And he is definitely a culture, a culture setting type personality, right? Like his interview afterwards, like I was inspired, you know, I wanted to like go run through a wall after his, after his <laughs> speaking with him for five minutes on Zoom. He's training with Troy Palomalu. Obviously there's a USC connection there. Um, super family oriented guy, like was extremely happy just to be drafted. And, and the thing that really stuck out to me and I tweeted at the time was that, he said he wants to be a special teams pro bowler his rookie season. And so like, it's easy. Like a lot of good teams have those dudes on special teams. Like, you know, the Patriots have Slater They're, um The, the receiver who Matthew like Slater. doesn't play an offense at all, but he's just a special teams guy and he's been there forever. And he turned into a team captain and he's sort of like an invaluable guy. Like that's how that's the, I I think Hufanga is more likely to have that type of career than a guy that that ever really carves out a significant role as a starter on defense. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I I could see him being the dude that makes an interception or like a pick six or forces a fumble with a big hit or something in the preseason, and fans go crazy and like, 
you know, why isn't he starting with Sam linebacker? It's like, well, he's like 205 pounds <laughs> and not that fast. So, um, but I think he's, he's a valuable guy to have as like on the roster, just as a, as a special teams kind of just standout. Just Colin Jones type. Right. <laughs> right. Anytime you can get that Colin Jones comp, I don't give him out to everybody. <laughs> no, you got to earn that. All right, last pick, sixth round, number 194 overall. The 49ers go with another running back, Eli Mitchell from Louisiana Lafayette, the first time since 1991 that San Francisco took two running backs in one draft. And Eli Mitchell reminds me a lot of Raheem Mostert in that he's bigger, he's super fast. I think he's like a 4'3", 340 guy. The stat that really jumped out to me, though, was that he averaged over four yards a carry after contact. Yeah. That's bananas. Yeah. Um, he basically, he's a, he's kind of fresh, too, coming into the league. Like, he only accounted for uh, 34% of the team's rushing attempts for the last two seasons. So mm-hmm. he's not somebody, he's been super productive, but he's not somebody coming in with, with um, like, he still has tread on the tires, right? Right, um, right. 41 career touchdowns in 42 college games. That's pretty good. Uh, average 6.2 yards per carry. That's pretty good. You know, there's talk about his speed and he did run a 4-3-3 at his pro day. I, I had heard and I need to, I need to look into this a little bit more, but I had heard he played closer to like 215, 220 pounds and he weighed in at his pro day at 201 pounds. So I wonder if he would still have that 4-3-3 speed. Um, at that increased weight. Uh, so that's, you know, I guess a question mark. But no, like, getting back to sort of how we framed the discussion around Trey Sermon earlier, it's like, man, Raheem Mostert, Trey Sermon, Jeff Wilson Jr., and Elijah Mitchell could be a really nasty running back group. Um, and if Mitchell is fast, you know, he's even if he's a 4-4 guy, like, that, that is potentially a boon because... If Raheem Mostert were to have ankle issues again, like he did last year, only played in, well, I think it was eight games. Mm-hmm. If you're in that position where Raheem Mostert gets hurt, you still have a speed element there Yeah, um, in Elijah right. Mitchell because you're not getting it from Sermon and you're not getting it from Jeff Wilson Jr. Um, so I, I I think in, in you know, in the sixth round, you're, you're doing fine drafting a second running back, right? Because... I mean, you lose Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon, and those guys weren't all that productive last year anyway. So now you infuse the running back group with two rookies, fresh legs, young guys. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan clearly wants to be able to run the ball. That is the basis of his offense. A lot of what he does is based off of the running game and its effectiveness. So Mm -hmm. if you have all these running backs, now you have a little bit more depth and you can withstand these injuries as opposed to last year where Wilson – and Moster got hurt, and then you have to you have to piece together a running game with Jarek McKinnon and Tevin Coleman, and it, it was just not not a good situation with the running backs last year. So now you have four guys you feel pretty good about, including two young rookies with differing skill sets. Like all four of those guys have different skill sets now, and so yeah. Mitchell, I could see you know not all not not all four are going to be active on game days. Um, but now at least you're going to have one guy in reserve, most likely Mitchell in that, man, if you, if one of the guys has to miss a game, you're not, you're not going to be hurting at running back because you decided to actually draft a running back in the sixth round. So, you know, we can talk about the value of drafting running backs period. I think sixth round is 
is is more than fine if you get somebody you, you love as a scheme fit, which I'm sure the 49ers do. Um, and so now, and, and I, I think part of it too, maybe in a normal year, Mitchell is somebody that they target in undrafted free agency. Mm-hmm. But because the scouting situation being what it was because of the pandemic, they're just like, screw it. We like this guy. We're not going to mess around and try to get him to right. come in right. as an undrafted player. We're just going to draft him because we don't, we don't want to mess around in the sixth round. Like we'll just take a guy that we feel like we'll have a role right away. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I envision with Mitchell. What do you think? Insulating themselves from having to sign Austin Walter off somebody's practice squad. Right. And it just, it makes sense. If, if, if they were going for health, which they, they were, there was a very common theme of durability with, with these guys. And if you're looking for, if you're looking, if you're in the sixth round and your goal from this draft was to get healthy players and to get players who are going to help you, your run game. Especially long term, because Jeff Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert in the final year of their contracts, and I, th- I think Wilson's on a one-year deal or whatever it is, but now you have two running backs under team control at relatively cheap prices for the next four years. Totally. And you're insulated from injury, and they fit the offense. So I'll, 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 I'm not going to argue with somebody if if they want to say it's bad value, but I like I get what the team was going for. The running game is just clearly going to be super important this year. Yeah, and even with Trey, even with Trey Lance, whether it's Garoppolo or Lance, and whether it's twenty twenty one or twenty twenty five, I don't think we're ever going to see a version of the Forty ers offense where they're throwing it forty times a game. Yeah, I, I, that's not in an not, ideal world. Even maybe down during, the road, like five during, years from now, but during, not, not anytime soon. But during during Matt Ryan's. MVP season, I think he was 26th in the league in pass attempts. That's a good point. It's just, I, I I think Shanahan wants to run the hell out of the ball. And it's not like they're going to throw 10 times a game. It's not going to be anything crazy like that. But I, I don't I don't think they're ever consistently in the top half of pass attempts. I mean, and if they're be, doing it right, they, they, they shouldn't need to be. Would it be crazy, though, if there were a couple games next year where it's like, Trey Lance is like eight eight of twelve. No, and they run for like two hundred and fifty yards, and Lance is like you know eighty yards rushing and two touchdowns or something like no. that. No, yeah, that I, especially especially in year one. Yeah, if they're if they're paring down the playbook and just kind of giving him stuff that he's a little more used to. But um, I do think I, I like I said I don't think they're going to throw twenty times a game, but I I think that in that kind of thirty range, thirty times a game is probably what we're looking at long-term. I'm expecting the Niners to be near the bottom of the league in pass attempts, particularly if this and when year? Trey Lance starts. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think there, in, in this, in this draft and what they, what they kind of did shows that. Totally. Um, there's a little bit of breaking news I have. Oh, um, this from, uh, FIVA 22 on Instagram. Oh, also, that's also known as, uh, Jason Verrett. Yeah. 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 Uh, them Frog Days is back. Oh, he's going with number two. Hashtag FIVA. If you know, you know. Uh, yeah, he's going to wear number two this year. That's excellent. Yeah. It's That's gonna, really good. It's going to be... There's going to be a, a pretty significant adjustment period with the single-digit numbers now 
being available to just about everybody. Jaguaski Tart also changing his number, but going to 26. An interesting decision on his part. Yeah. Is um, 20, I think, I don't know how you feel. For me, 29 is a better safety number. 26 is a better cornerback number. Your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I don't really, I don't disagree with your point. I don't have a feeling about that either way. Okay. I think Jaquaski okay. felt like he needed a change. He's dealt with some injuries, 29. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think He's been this slept is, on. Right. Um, <laughs> so now he's, he's, uh, going through the, the next chapter at, at 26, whatever that means. He had to um, buy out. He had to buy out all the inventory of the Jaquaski chart jerseys. Right. Do we have, did we talk about Trey Lance wearing number five? We have not talked about that yet. Do you have, do you have five takes? Not the, not five takes. Do you have takes about the number five? I I do. I do. Look. (laughs) Jeff Garcia is a good quarterback. I don't want this to be a Jeff Garcia slander sesh because it's not. But who the hell is Jeff Garcia to be out here like, oh yeah, I give Trey my blessing to wear number five. Get the, go to. Do you think you he, so me? you don't think he gave Bradley Pinion his yeah. blessing David to wear number Carr five? David Carr wore number five. Brad Pinion wore number five. Remember Chase McLaughlin, the guy that kicked one into the tunnel on Monday Night Football against the Seahawks? Yep. That guy wore number five. Was Jeff Garcia out here on the horn? Like, yeah, Chase, you know, it's a, I hope you wear that with the grit and determination that I wore it with. Like, dude, come on. Yeah. You're Jeff Garcia. Good player. Good player. Underrated, I think. But you're not Joe Montana. You're not right. Frank Gore. It's not like, it's not like Trey Sermon came in and said, hey, I really want to wear 21. It means a lot. And Frank Gore is going, yeah, you know what? You do, do it, young man. Like, you, that's your thing. No. It's Jeff Garcia. Guess what? If Jeff Garcia had called the 49ers and said, hey, that number three pick that, that you guys traded all that up for, I really don't want him wearing number five. He's here in <laughs> dial tone. Nobody's going, oh, Trey, you want five? Oh, boy. Actually, you know what? Jeff called. <laughs> and Jeff doesn't want you to wear it. So do you have a different number in mind? Um, uh, my biggest question with that is Trey Lance is going to wear number five whether Jeff Garcia wanted him to or not. So shout out to Jeff Garcia for being a good sport and letting him have the number. Uh, I wonder if he also called David Carr and and Pins (laughs) and Chase Mack traded and asked their permission as well. I I hope this hasn't disqualified Jeff Garcia from ever coming on this podcast. No. Because I I wouldn't mind having him. No, he's great. And like I said, I think he's, he's underrated historically. With the 49ers, I would, if he was on the pod, I would address this with him personally. Okay. Like, did you really feel like he had to, even though these other players have worn it since you left? Yeah, I like five. I feel like there's an element of scarcity. I can't, like, I, the, the, the only other. Say it again. Kerry Collins. Right. Kerry Collins, like Joe Flacco, but like, is there anybody, is there a prominent quarterback in the league right now that's wearing number five? Because nobody's coming to mind, and I have the list. I'm of quarterbacks sure there's one that we're like missing, and someone's yeah. Like, but oh, but I I like the number. I, it's a good no, number. It's a strong number. It it's is. a strong number. Um, I think it's going to sell a lot of jerseys. Joe DiMaggio is number five. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good number. I, I, 
I've made this. I, I've told you and Nick this. I just have an irrational disdain for quarterbacks wearing number nine, and I thought he might try to wear number nine because that was his dad's number and his childhood number. See, and he has a dog named Niner, and he has a dog named Niner because of because of the nine right. thing, not because of the Forty ers Right. Um, but you know, I think five's good. It's uh, he looked good in five in college, so I I see no Do reason you think- why he wouldn't. Do you think he goes for nine when Robbie Gold bounces? I I think you're I I mean you're I think he's kind of all in on five. Okay. I've seen like a diamond. It's a branding pendant. thing at this point. Yeah, it's a branding branding thing. I, I've seen the diamond chain with number five on it. Um, I think he's I think he's committed to five. Okay, so I think it's good. That's fair. Um, That's all are I there? Are, is there a number that you would have preferred him wearing? No. Okay. No, I think no. Stick with it. I. I'm all for if you have a number that you rocked with and you want to stick with it. That's why I like the NFL relaxing their rules on on numbers. Yeah. If you yeah. were awesome, if you were a linebacker and you were awesome in number nine as a linebacker, wear number nine in the pros. Dude. Yeah. It's going to take some getting used to, particularly somebody who has to, like, follow players and, you know, like, watching games. I need to know exactly who's doing what because now it'll be a lot more difficult to be like, is that guy, you know, is whoever made that tackle on special teams, is that a running back or a defensive back? All right, so you have your flip card there. Right, yeah. It would be worse if there were multiple of each number. That right, and I think problem. that's the thing because now there's so many retired numbers throughout the league that you have guys like in preseason doubling up, and now it's right. like, all right, it's right. lax, so everybody can get sort of the number that they want. the The thing that I thought was funny, and maybe this is just I was I never played on the offensive line or whatever, so I just don't get it. But Tom Brady's saying that it's going to be a lot of bad football because people aren't going to know who to block. It's like, dude, right. if the middle linebacker is wearing number 3, 12, 54, 86, or 110 billion, you're going to know, like, hey, I got to get a number 110 billion. Like, it just, it's not going to, it's not like an offensive lineman is going to go up and be like, number 3, oof. You know what I would tell? That's a, that's a quarterback number. I'm not going to block that guy. Like, come on, man. You know what I would tell Tom Brady in this scenario? What watch, would you do? I, I would tell him to watch more tape. Ha! <laughs> And, and just, just yes. hey, hey, Tom, my guy, figure out who the mic Tom. is. <laughs> hey, Tom, watch, watch more tape. Watch more tape. You Tom. ever watch film, Tom? <laughs> um, but funny. yeah, that was that's our numbers segment for for the year. For um, the year? Oh, please! <laughs> for the year, he says. Just wait until the the roster is official, and yeah, we get to go to through Jason. and. Jason Verrett for uh, for wearing number two. That'll be cool. It's going to be really cool. A cornerback. God, I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> um, D- if Debo Samuel does change his number to number one, he will have gotten his massive 19 back tattoo for two seasons of work. Right? And do you, do you then change – do you then change your Twitter handle and stuff? Oh, like one problem? Because he's nineteen problems, right? Does he become one problem? Hey, he might. Might be something to consider. I mean, I think nineteen is a perfect number for Debo. I think it's you know, it's I a really it's a... like it's a good middle finger number, which is kind of how he runs. Yeah, I think he should I respect, stick with it, yeah. particularly since he got the massive good. back tattoo. Yeah, 
For sure. And so the, I have the a thing massive is, Candlestick Chronicles tattoo on my back. Yeah, perfect. So I hopefully this pod never ends. <laughs> um, of course the you thing do. We is, got them together. The thing is with guys changing numbers is that if there's an inventory of jerseys um, that you, players changing their numbers have to buy off all the inventory, and then they can change. So, like, George Kittle, who has one of the highest-selling jerseys in the league, if he were to change Oof. numbers, he would have to buy, I don't know, like what 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 do you think the the outstanding inventory is with on Kittle's jersey like thousands? Are there yeah. thousands of jerseys he would it's... just have to buy just so he could wear forty six or whatever if he wanted to yes, like go back to his college so. number? Yeah. So anyway, any any other thoughts on the draft class Can before I, we hop out of here? I want to say one more thing about numbers. If George okay. Kittle goes to forty six, he's never making another Pro Bowl. Wow, that is a take. That's. It's fact. Uh, 46 that... is not a good tight end number. Delaney look Walker his, Delaney Walker his... would like a word. Yeah, and Delaney Walker didn't make a Pro Bowl until he started wearing what? I don't even know. I'm not a Titans guy. What number was he with, with Tennessee? 82. Okay. <laughs> all right. 46, not a great tight end number, that's all. I don't have okay. any more thoughts on the draft class. Okay. Let's get out of here. Uh, thank you for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, um, do all that. We will, uh, we'll check, you, we'll check in with you guys later in the week. Maybe we'll do a locker room. Maybe we'll get another guest. Uh, we'll figure it out. You guys Maybe we'll do both. Week. Who knows? Who knows? Okay, goodbye now. For the ones who know that a little late, is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.